Chapter 14. Peter, Peter recognized Vola's footsteps, the hard wooden stamp followed by the softer shoed footfall, and dropped the logs back into the wood bin. He braced himself in the cabin doorway, watching Vola pump water into the kitchen sink. You stayed off that foot? Pretty much. Actually, he'd gotten up at least a dozen times to do pull-ups on a beam, and he'd lifted logs for half an hour. His arms were sore and his foot hurt a lot when it wasn't raised. But he hadn't been able to lie around doing nothing knowing Pax was still out there. Vola began lathering up her hands without turning around. You write that note? Peter pulled the crutches to his sides. Already he felt more secure when they were tucked under his arms. I did, but no buts. You write once a week. The bus driver friend I told you about, Robert Johnson, I ask him. He'll mail them from different spots along his route. First condition, remember? Peter tried a sharp turn, wobbled, but righted himself. He swung through another turn, smoother. All right, okay, good. Vola hung the dish towel on its peg, crossed to the fireplace, and began shredding newspaper onto the grate. Let's move to the second condition, then. That charm bracelet you carry. I'm guessing it was your mother's. Why do you carry it with you? Why that particular thing? Peter felt his body go instantly rigid the way it always did whenever anyone asked about his mother, as if it had to freeze to decide whether it was okay to talk about her or not. Usually with strangers, it wasn't. So he was surprised when his hands relaxed their grip on the crutches a little and his throat eased open. She always wore it. She'd hold her wrist up so I could play with it when I was a baby. I don't remember that, but I've seen a picture. I do remember her telling me about it, though. About the charm, I mean. It's a phoenix. That's a special bird. It's red and gold and purple, colored like sunrise, and it rises from the ashes. I know about the. I know what a phoenix is. Right. But out of its own ashes. That's the part my mom cared about. Its own ashes? When it gets worn out, it builds itself a nest high in a tree away from everything. Peter stopped. It suddenly occurred to him that Bola's cabin felt like a nest. He circled on the crutches to look around. Yes, a secret protected nest surrounded by trees, away from everything. He turned back to Vola, who was cross-stacking kindling. He hoped she hadn't read his mind. So the phoenix fills the nest with its favorite stuff. Myrrh and cinnamon is what's in the story, I think. Then the nest ignites, burning the bird's old body. And the new bird rises up out of the old bird's ashes. My mother loved that. She said it meant that no matter how bad things got, we could always make ourselves new again. Willa didn't respond. She touched a match to the shredded paper and watched as it caught fire. Her face looked grim in the light of the new flames. She added two logs and a thin, then a third. Go try those crutches outside while there's still some light, she said without looking up. Peter opened the front door and navigated the step, relieved to get away. He didn't have a clue what he'd said wrong. Living in the woods all alone probably made a person weird. But she was right that he needed to practice outside. He lost a whole day now. A whole day. Maybe he did need some time to train and heal, but he was leaving as soon as he could. He left the cleared yard and headed to where the uneven ground was snarled with roots and brush. It took a torturously long time to circle the cabin. His second turnaround was a little faster, and by the fifth circuit he felt almost comfortable but he was bathed in sweat when he swung back inside. The cabin was quiet except for the gentle crackling of the fire. 
Vola sat in an armchair, sewing something yellow. The quiet and the way the setting sun seemed to wash the cabin in peace, as if everything were right with the world, suddenly felt mocking to Peter. Everything was wrong with the world. Another day had passed when Pax had been out there alone. Another night was coming when he would be cold, probably hungry and scared too. And what if he hadn't found water? He took a lurching swing across the room, halfway across, one crutch caught on a rug, and he had to stab the other into the wall to keep from crashing into a lantern. Shorter steps. You'll get the hang of them after a while. After a while? My fox will be dead in a while. He dropped the crutches and sank to the chair at the kitchen table. What's the point anyway? How is this supposed to work out? Vola dropped her sewing. What do I look like? A magic eight ball? She went out to the porch and came back with a bag of ice. Then she lifted Peter's foot to a chair and arranged the ice over it. I don't have your answers. The sight of his useless foot reminded him of everything he couldn't do now. He looked away. Why not? Aren't you supposed to be wise and all? Living out here by yourself with your, with all these? He threw his thumb toward the jumble of notes tacked on the board behind him. All these philosophy bingo cards? You're supposed to be wise, at least, aren't you? Or witchy or something? Peter almost didn't recognize himself, back-talking the woman like this. He felt as if he were short-circuiting, as if the impulses were leaping directly out of him without passing through his brain. But once again, he wasn't where he should be, and now his foot was too wrecked to get him there, and Pax was still out there alone. Vola pulled a bucket out from a cupboard and set it in the sink. Philosophy bingo cards. She looked only mildly insulted. I'm trying to figure out my own life. I don't have your answers. So who does? And don't say my father because he's a little absent these days. And because he caused all this. Peter hardened his jaw against saying the words and forced himself to breathe slowly. He wasn't angry. He was just frustrated. Anyone would be. Sudden tears threatened. What was wrong with him lately? And he knuckled his eyes. Bola started over toward him then seemed to change her mind. She backed away to lean against the kitchen counter. You are angry, she said simply, as if she were noting he had dark hair or the sun was going down. I'm not angry, but he forced his fists open and counted ten slow breaths, fighting it the way he always did. Because what if he was like his father? With that threatening kind of anger, the kind that was always simmering, the kind that could boil over at any time, and hurt everyone in the way. The apologies afterward never healed the damage. He squeezed his eyes shut against the tears still crowning. I'm not angry. It's just that I didn't choose it. I didn't choose for there to be a war. I didn't choose for my father to join up. I didn't choose to leave my home. I didn't choose to go to my grandfather's, and I sure didn't choose to abandon an animal I took care of for five years. You're a kid. You don't get a lot of choices. I'd be angry too. Doubleman angry. I told you, I'm not angry. Peter gulped in a sob that somehow escaped as a twisted laugh. He was short-circuiting again, and you're in love with that word, you know? What are you talking about, boy? Dibbleman. What is it? A swear? You're in love with the word Dibbleman. His wiring felt totally fried. If we were in second grade, I'd tell you, you're so in love with that word, you should marry it. She squawked a loud crow's cough. But you're right, she said. 
I should get down on one devilman ruined knee and ask that word to marry me. You should, Peter agreed, kind of hysterical now. You should put a devilman ring on its devilman finger. He wiped his face off and watched Vola as she came over and took the seat across from him. My grandfather swore in his first language. It drove my grandmother crazy because she didn't speak it. But she sang in Italian when she cooked so... Volo lifted a finger to stroke the feathers bunched at her throat. I carry many traits, she said quietly. And then she went silent for a while, holding his gaze the whole time. In their silence, Peter felt they were saying something important. Something about the long, dark tunnel he felt narrowing around him. I was counting on finding packs in a week, maybe ten days. He looked down at his foot. Now? Pax? That's his name? It means peace, you know. Peter knew that. Lots of people had told him. But that's not why I named him. First day, I brought him home. I left him for a minute, just a minute, so I could get him some food. When I got back, I couldn't find him. He'd crawled into my backpack and fallen asleep. It had the word Paxton sewn on the label. I was seven then, and I figured Paxton, that's a good name. It had an X in it, like Fox, you know. But now, but now what? Now he's all alone because of a war. I let him go because of a war. War, not peace. What's that called? Irony? Whatever now, it's a terrible name. He'll probably die because of a war. Maybe yes, maybe no. He could survive. It's spring. Plenty of food, I think. Peter shook his head. Foxes teach their kits to hunt when they're about eight weeks old. I found him way before that. He was maybe two weeks old. The vet figured. He could run across a dozen mice sitting up on little plates, and he probably couldn't catch them. All he's ever had is kibble and the scraps I'd let him swipe. Well, what kind of scraps? Anything he'd find out there? Peter shrugged. He's crazy for peanut butter. He likes hot dogs. Loves eggs. No, unless he stumbles onto some picnic, he'll starve. He'll find water, I figure, and he can probably go a week without food. But after that... Peter dropped his head to his hands. I let it happen. I didn't choose any of it, but I didn't fight it either. I don't know why I didn't fight it. Except, of course, he did know. When his father had first dropped the order about Pax, Peter had stilled himself and said, No, I won't do it. But his father's eyes had flared with that flash fire anger, and his fist had jerked up, stopping only at the last split second to knuckle Peter's cheek in a gesture that carried enough threat to set packs on glowing alert, growling alert. Peter's own fists had come up, and the rage he'd felt at his father had scared him more than the threat itself. He heard his grandfather's words now, Our apples don't fall far from the tree. And he felt sick and afraid all over again. He dropped his gaze to the worn pine table to hide the shameful headline he felt burning across his face. Vola reached over and cupped the top of his head with both hands. Peter froze. Except for an occasional attaboy shoulder shake from his father or a casual arm punch from one of his friends, no one had touched him since his mother. Vola paused as though she knew he needed time. Then she pressed down firmly. It was a strange thing to do, but Peter didn't pull away, didn't move a muscle, didn't even draw a breath. Because at that moment, her strong grip was the only thing keeping him from flying apart. Well, that's over now, she said, isn't it? She rose. I might not have your answers, boy, but I do know one true thing about you. You need food, a lot of food. You're 12, you've slept out in the cold, and you've got a bone to hill. 
I'm going to set that bone now. Then I'm going to start cooking and you're going to start eating. And neither one of us is going to stop until you say so. Got it? Peter's belly was suddenly a hollow, snarling crater. Yes, ma'am, I've got it. Vola rummaged under the sink and drew out a sack of plaster. Peter watched her sift some into the bucket and then pump in some water. Then she brought over the thing she'd been sewing. Foot up. Vola propped a pillow under his knee and worked a quilted sleeve over, over his leg like an open-toed sock. He recognized the yellow-cheeked, checked material. He glanced into the bedroom to be sure. You cut up your quilt? I can always make another one. You need the cushioning. She took another section of quilt and stripped the batting off, then ripped the yellow calico into the strips and dunked them into the plaster. Hold your foot at a 90-degree angle. Around and around his foot and ankle, halfway up his shin, she wrapped the strips. When she'd build a thick boot, she frosted it with more plaster. Don't move, not even your toes. Vola left for the porch and came back with her arms full. She set two iron skillets on burners, flipped a hunk of butter into each, and turned on the flames. She cracked a couple of eggs in a yellow bowl and started whisking in milk, then cornmeal. A cool breeze, fragrant with turned earth and frying butter, lifted against Peter. He looked at the sturdy cast, drying his foot safe inside now, wrapped in what used to be Vola's quilt. I'm sorry about how I've been. He tipped his head to her bulletin board. My philosophy bingo cards, she said with a nod. No, bat Peter. Those are just things I figure to be true about the world, the universals. The important ones are the things I figure out to be true about me. I keep them somewhere else private. How come? How come they're the important ones? Or how come they're private? Peter shrugged. Either, both. He leaned back waiting. Vola eyed him as she saw a slice of a ham joint and forked it into one of the frying pans. She dipped out three ladles of batter, poured them sputtering into the other pan, then set the bowl down. I'm going to tell you a story. When I got out of the service, I didn't remember a single true thing about myself. That's what training does. No more individuals, just pieces they can mold to their machine. I was lost my first day as a civilian. Lost. I went into a grocery store. I stared at all the choices, and I kept wondering who I was supposed to be buying groceries for. What filled this person's hungry belly? Gumbo or pie? Beans or bread? In the produce aisle, I broke down because I didn't remember a single thing about myself. Vola went quiet then, her eyes closed. What happened? Peter nudged after a moment. What happened? In the store. What happened in the store? Oh, she turned back to the stove and flipped the Johnny cakes. Peanut butter. Peanut butter happened? Bulla tossed her hands into the air. Peanut butter happened, and I was lucky it did. There I was on the floor of the grocery store, dirty, red and white, checked linoleum. I will never forget weeping, and I knew I wouldn't get up until I remembered what kind of food I liked. Bulla stacked the Johnny Cakes on a blue plate, then paused. Peter thought she might be drifting back to the memory of that grocery store floor. He was glad he hadn't seen something like that. A grown woman sobbing on a dirty grocery store floor. A crazy lady with one lost leg. He felt suddenly protective and hoped no one had laughed at her, and that she had gotten herself out okay, and... Oh, and finally I did. I remembered my grandmother telling me that when I first discovered peanut butter sandwiches... I wanted one every day. So I got up from the floor and I bought myself some peanut butter and bread. I filled my cart with peanut butter and bread 
because I decided I wasn't coming back until I knew for sure something else I had liked to eat. And I was afraid that might be a long time. She added the ham to the plate, slapped on a scoop of applesauce, and brought it over to him with a lot with a white pitcher of maple syrup. Eat. Peter flooded the plate with syrup and loaded a fork. The cornmeal had a gritty crunch. The ham was smooth and salty against the sweet syrup. It was the best food he could remember eating. <coughs> and wasn't it, he asked when he'd cleaned half the plate, a long time before you remembered something else. Vola pressed a finger to the drying cast, almost set. Keep, a, keep still while, a while longer. She went back to the stove and carved more ham and ladled more batter into the skillet. It was. People around me, they called it PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, from being in the war. And they were right that I was sick, but I knew it wasn't being in the war exactly. It was that in the war, I had forgotten everything that was true about myself. Post-traumatic forgetting who you are disorder. That's what I had. My grandfather was in a nursing home by then, and he was dying. I went out to his place. It had been my old home, too. My grandparents raised me for a couple of years to clean it out. It was the end of summer. The orchard was an untended mess, but there were still some peaches hanging on. And that was the second lucky thing that happened to me after the peanut butter. Because I suddenly remembered, Lord, I have loved those peaches. I used to sneak out in the middle of the night to pick them. I'd sprawl on the grass underneath those trees and fireflies flashing all around and Katie did singing a heap of peaches on my belly and I'd eat them till juice ran into my ears. I remember that so clearly I could smell that memory. I could hear it and I could taste it, but I couldn't figure out how that girl would be the same person who had put on a uniform, picked up a gun and done the things I did in the war. So I reached up and picked one of those peaches and I laid myself down on the grass and bit into it and and there I was. I found another little true piece of my old self. She brought the skillet over and stacked more Johnny cakes and ham onto the, his empty plate, then went back to the stove. <coughs> Stop, Peter said. Stop? Well, that's the end of the story anyway. No, I mean, this will be enough food. Thank you. Peter wished again that his fox were under the table, wondered again if Pax was hungry. And then had the curious sense that he wasn't, that tonight at least Pax had food in his belly. So then what? He asked after loading his fork. You were okay? Vola set the skillet in the sink and came back to sit across from him at the table. What a person likes to eat. That's a detail. I was so lost. I needed to find out all the true things about myself. The little things to the biggest of all. What did I believe in at my core? Peter figured he knew what was coming, like war. Now you're anti-war, right? Vola steepled her fingers under her chin. That's a complicated thing. What I am is for telling the truth about it, about what it costs. People should tell the truth about what war costs. That's taken me a long time to figure out. She leaned back, and that was just one thing. I had to relearn everything that was right and wrong for me. But I couldn't. The world was too loud for me to hear myself think. So I moved into my father's place. I decided to stay there until I knew who I was again. Peter looked up at the jarred peaches on the shelf above him, then recalled the blooming trees in the orchard. And you're still here, he said. This is that place, isn't it? <laughs>